right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast, special Monday morning recording of this. I wish we had a good reason why we didn't record last night. It's a long day. It was a, really it's a long, long day. day. We're live from Wisconsin. This is a live show, zero audience, uh, but it is in a remote location. We don't have Jim Wagner here to uh, to entertain us, entertain us all, but uh, we're at Whistling Straits, played Whistling Straits yesterday. We're going to talk a little bit about that here towards the end. Uh, and then the back half of this podcast is going to be our interview with Akshay Batia. This was done this past Wednesday before the Safeway. Uh, he is the 17-year-old that just turned professional, has made two PGA Tour starts. He has ended up missing the cut in both of those. Um, but he's got a shitload of potential. He's a really interesting story. He was we, born in what year? Well, that's the very first question of the oh. interview. Wait for the <laughs> interview. Come on, I haven't man. listened to it yet. No spoilers. All right, sorry. Uh, He's very young. He is very, very young. He, I, I just found it really interesting, kind of his his path towards the PGA Tour and professional golf. I wanted to pick his brain on it a little bit. So that's in the back half of the show. We're going to talk briefly about the Safeway, the Dunhill, uh, just literally just receiving words about this driver testing as we're going to record this. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but... It's officially Camp Champ SEN. It is. We're in the fall. It's Camp Champ season again. Uh, you know, he was, uh, I think he made it, what, his first like six or seven cuts last year, coming out of the gates, just blazing, wins in his second start last year, uh, and then kind of hampered by a couple things we can get into, but back problems were, were definitely among them. Many people saying uh, from carrying the load for my Fred X Cup team. Uh, How many times have we heard that excuse uh, from everyone around <laughs> the world, you know? Uh, no, I think it's it's really cool to see him uh, break through yesterday, and a lot of the stuff that a lot of the stuff we'll talk to, you know, we'll, we'll speak to is that makes it so cool is the you know what's going on with his grandpa and uh, a lot of that other stuff. But just seeing him uh, back in the winter circle, I think is is you know I think it's good for everybody. Well, somebody that's gonna I, I, I don't I don't want to accuse Cam Champ of this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna use this phrase. Somebody that's going to game the system might as well game it, right? So two things that work really, really, really well in professional golf. Hitting it way further than everybody else. I mean, we've seen it. It just it correlates to making a shitload of money. Another thing that works really, really, really well is winning some golf tournaments and missing a bunch of cuts. There's no rule that says you have to be top 25 every week, have to be incredibly consistent. You'd rather be... Like a Cam Champ style, if he does this for 20 years, he'll have a more, he'll make more money. He'll have a bigger pedigree than like, I don't want to be, beat on Charles Howell, but he's like maybe the most consistent player right. of this entire generation. Finished what, T4 this week? T5? Yes. He's just always there. <laughs> Quietly. Making, yeah. Nobody, there's gonna, another, here, here you go, Charles. There's another $300,000. Yeah. He's going to be top 25 in career earnings. Uh, he's, is Charles Howell a better golfer? Absolutely. But in modern-day professional golf, if you are a hit-or-miss guy, I mean, I feel like... It's the Scott Stallings program. It's, it's kind of, Adam Long is kind of like this as well. I mean, he's yeah. been, it, he, will, he will miss a bunch of cuts, and he will pop up at the very top of the leaderboard, he, and he, he jumps in and out from the, of that spot, and he, of course, won last year. So I got... I, I don't know. I feel like it was very, everyone was really, really hard on them when things went south this past year, but injuries were a part of that. And he was a rookie. Like, yeah, you're not it, supposed to win as a rookie. In your second start. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he screwed up his own curve. So, I, I think that's exactly right. And I think going back through and reading both some stuff from last year and some stuff from this year, uh, 
after he won yesterday, it's like, you know, I think when you really break down, like, what happens after you win is, so Camp Champ is, I don't even know how old he is. I mean, he's a couple years out of college, yeah, right? He's, 22, he's, 23, yeah, something like that. young guy. And you go and you win in your second start, and then all of a sudden, and the, you know, we can get into kind of like the tour marketing machine if you want, but all of a sudden you are in all the promos, you're in all the featured groups, you're, you're playing alongside Rory and JT and Brooks and all these guys. And like, you're getting interviewed after every round and all that stuff is, you know, I mean, it comes with the territory. Like, I don't think anybody feels bad for, for cam champ, you know, after having to deal with all these pressures after winning a tour event, but it's like, that stuff's got to fucking wear on you, man. Like, can you imagine how hard that is to, to deal with all that stuff just immediately while you're still trying to figure out, all the golf courses on the PJ tour. Like how often do we hear people say, you know, okay, my second season on tour, like now I know all the golf courses, I know where to stay. I know how to practice. Like he's learning all that stuff at once and he's got back injuries and he's got all this other stuff. So I think, you know, when you dive into the stats, like it's, it's bleak as far as uh, kind of the bomb and gouge yeah. scene goes looking at his stats from last year. It was like, he was sixth on tour in strokes gain driving and then approach around the green, tee to green, and total, he was outside the top 150 in all of those. And putting, he's somewhere around like 120. Like, I think he is kind of a slightly better putter than people probably give him credit for. But uh, I don't know. We need a bigger sample size this year. I'm excited to watch him this year, especially now that he's, you know, got another win under his belt and he's going to probably feel a little more comfortable. Like, I'm, I'm excited to see what we see. I would expect all of those skills to improve yeah. with time. Yeah. Uh, his game is very unique in that he hits it very far, but he also hits it really low. Yeah. So it's not like Which you he, got to see in the in the pro him. We year. we did. I I may have outdriven him on one of the holes <laughs> that he hit. <laughs> what did he finish like third that week? Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. He hit like six iron off the tee. And I hit <laughs> driver from the up tee. But anyways, uh, the, the way PGA Tour courses are set up, if you hit it low and far, there, there's bend to fairways, right? So. They're gonna. He's either gonna run out. Or he's gonna have trouble. Not trouble carrying dog legs. But if you're if you play a running shot, chances are it's gonna be hard to keep it in the fairway. Yeah. So he doesn't. The bomb and gouge that like Rory and DJ have is it's a completely different ball flight. Well, I think that's what makes Bubba so impressive. Too, yes, is that he's able to you know hold similar ball flight, but he he can shape it so well that he can hold fairways exactly. He can mirror the shape of the hole or go the opposite way if it's slanted one way or yeah. It's just I don't know. We do, we talk about Bubba a lot, not always in the best terms, but like. Nobody on earth gives Bubba enough credit for the way he plays golf. People ask, like, hey, we're heading to this tournament. Who have, like, you know, the guys you've had on the pod or some of your, your yeah. favorite players? Who should we go Who should we go follow? Like, Always just, Bubba. Just go follow Bubba. Yeah. Like, he's probably the most exciting person to watch golf. Sure. Also, like, maddening. Like, so annoying to yeah. watch play golf. But, uh, but yeah, I can't, Champ, his game is not going to translate to a bunch of golf courses. It's, I, I know that, like, it well, kind of goes, it goes against, like, hitting it really far you're going to win a bunch on tour and, and finish at the top i don't think his game is necessarily like that and especially like major championship courses right yes. like you know where it's it's really about you know there's some courses i think like beth page where we talked a lot about and listen i don't hit the ball 370 so i can't really not often yeah. not often uh so i can't really relate to this but you know we talked a lot about beth page where it's like Oh, it's only long hitters. They're the only ones that can compete there. But a lot of those guys, like you said, they're hitting it so high that they can clear a lot of the trouble and stuff. And when we're when you're not hitting it that high and you kinda gotta shape it around, it it probably gets a little tougher. So And, and I'm not saying Cam doesn't have carry distance. No, exactly. I mean, he yeah. has absurd carry distance. He can carry anything. But I just think that that particular ball you watch Rory's drives. When he cuts it over a dog leg, like it lands and it lands soft and yeah. it rolls a few yards for the most part. 
And that's just not the way that that Cam plays. Anyways, it's a little maybe too much too much in the weeds, but I think it doesn't surprise me to see him win twice. Yeah, and it doesn't surprise me to see him struggling a lot in between. Totally. I don't, yeah. I, and I but and if we're talking about the marketing and if it's a backlash against marketing, we're talking about he's 24 now. He was 23 when he won his first event. The guy that literally hits it further than everybody else, and also is African American. Like I can see why the PGA Dude, Tour turned turn sure. to him for marketing. Yeah, of course, and so I don't know where the blame is really getting pointed. No, at here. I, I agree. I mean, I think a lot of it's kind of like hipsterism, where it's you know when something becomes popular, like nobody wants to see any more of it. But sure. I, I think from a yeah from a marketing standpoint, it's like it's such a no brainer. Like, and it's such a cool story, and I think we can. It's probably a good transition, but like the story of the weekend, you know, was his his grandpa. Mac, uh, who lives up near San Francisco. And so Cam was staying Cameron, I believe he, sorry, I don't know if he likes being called Cam. I think that's a whole thing, but, uh, he, (laughs) he was staying like 60 miles. That just means it's going to become Cam (laughs) for sure. Uh, he was staying like 60 miles away. And, uh, so he could stay near his grandpa who is got stage four cancer and is in hospice care right now. And so he's commuting to this, you know, to the golf course every day. And, just being with him and his his grandpa, like reading, there were some great stories, and and actually one of the the best ones I read was Michael A. Fletcher from the Undefeated actually wrote a story way back in May, um, which was kind of interesting timing because I think that was kind of right in the throes of his uh, his struggles and everything. But uh, his grandpa was the guy who taught him to play golf. He has just this kind of like epic uh, American story. His his grandpa did. He was an Air Force guy when he got back from the Air Force, like even in the early sixties, like just got treated horribly, uh, cause he was black and lived in Texas and, uh, the South was not, uh, extremely kind to people like that. <laughs> and, uh, so some of the stories, you know, he caddied at a all white club in Texas and never played golf, caddied at this all white club where he would find golf balls and he'd take them home. And like him and his friends would make homemade golf clubs out of like wrought iron, and stuff, and it's almost like, you know, like one of my favorite things is the Adventures in Golf episode in in Mumbai, the Slum Golf episode, where the guys are are making their own clubs out of rebar, and the the way it gets painted is like it's it's very similar to that. Like that's how he first started hitting golf balls, and then eventually was allowed to go play. Uh, there was this great story about him shooting like 132 the first time he played golf, and he was just hooked, like he was just obsessed, and uh, so he became like obsessed with golf. Uh, helped, you know, him and his dad helped. Uh, Cameron learn how to play and uh, it kind of went on went on from there but like there's all these kind of crazy roots like you know so he's up in San Francisco and I think Cameron grew up like near Sacramento and the only reason like their family was in California instead of Texas which is where their grandpa grew up was uh, because he married a white woman and like interracial marriage wasn't legal in Texas so they had to move to California and so when you really start thinking about it it's like gives you chills to start thinking about like the ripple effects and and all of these things. What like, year was this? This was like the early '60s. Oh my god, <laughs> it's not that long ago. <laughs> it's nuts. And yeah. so I think, I mean, not to get way into kind of like the you know the sociology and and all of that stuff of of what happens here, but like you see the ripple effect and like the way the deck gets stacked against a huge group of people, and it's just I don't know. It gives you chills to like start thinking about how long the odds are and how it's a 50 year process for someone like Cameron champ to make it to the PGA tour. You know what I mean? And yeah. like, that's where people say all the time. And like, it, I know we can roll our eyes and get really cynical about some of the, the grow the game stuff and blah, blah, blah. But when you see it actually, like when you see how long it takes to, to really uh, come to fruition, it's like, dude, 
like some of these people are are right like we've got to do even small things and even kind of you know these things that seem superficial or whatever like they have an impact it might be 30 years down the road but like it has an impact maybe there's a first tee kid who you know is going to play golf for the rest of their life and teach their grandkids how to play golf and like that's how the ripple effect works but it's it's just really freaking cool and really not golf (laughs) you know it's like how often do we have stories like that in golf that that we can point to and so it's it's something that like if you're cynical about celebrating cameron champ or cameron champ being overexposed like come on man like this is like this is about more than this is about so much more than you know people who like watch too much golf and and see the same commercial too many times yeah i hope he has continued success as much as i think it's not again not integral like he's got two more this is a the best time of year to win we talk about this every year winning in the fall you're exempt, obviously, for the whole rest of this year, which he already was. But then you get two full years after that. Um, it's a it's time to work on some things and and time to build a career, really, in that in that time period. So, totally, I think one of the one one more thing, kind of like on the ripple effect, is like, you know, it's again, it's it's not unlike hitting the ball crazy far. Like this is something I absolutely cannot pretend to relate to, but you hear a lot of these like seemingly throwaway lines about people, you know, like, Oh, when I saw that person on TV do it, like, I know that that, you know, that helped inspire me because they looked like me or because they hit like me or because of any of these things. And so like, think about our experience watching golf, every fucking golfer we've ever seen is just like a middle-aged white dude with the exception (laughs) of like one of them. Well, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like, it's like, there's no shortage of inspiration. That's just like, Oh yeah, no, like I could probably do that. Like that guy looks like my dad. That guy looks like my dad. Like, you know, and so how often do we hear like, you know, 90% of the other times we hear people bring up their grandfathers as like, Oh my God, he was so inspiring in this win. It's like, you know, he was the head pro here, (laughs) you know, and to win on this course, like it's just so inspiring and it's just so like, I don't know. It's just so cool to have a story that's so different. That's well said. A quick break here to remind you guys about something we've been talking about for a couple weeks. The, the new Callaway Jaws MD5 wedges, the, uh, they have the most aggressive grooves in golf. Uh, the Jaws MD5 is a breakthrough in wedge craftsmanship and performance from Callaway chief designer Roger Cleveland and his team. They've created a new Jaws groove along with proven groove-in groove technology. Wow, I got that one in one take this week. To take spin and control to the next level. The walls, edges, and angles are all milled to the face to achieve the sharpest edges and tightest tolerances ever from Callaway. The result is a wedge that's built for total performance with premium shapes, striking finishes, outstanding feel, and exceptional spin. They are in stores now. You can go take your info online, callawaygolf.com, to experience the Jaws MD5. Uh, you can check out all the performance technologies, which grinds are right for you. You can do five different grind options. You can do all kinds of head optimization. It's it's kind of scary how much time you can spend on that website. Callawaygolf.com for more information. Let's get back to the pod. Uh, sticking with the Safeway here, just came out this morning. From a Reuters report, I believe. You have the author, the the gentleman? You can uh, you can grab that. Uh, yeah, I do somewhere here. Well, I read, it is believed that Corey Connors, Robert Streb, Jason Duffner, Michael Thompson, and Mark Hubbard were among those whose drivers did not pass the driver inspection test on Monday or Tuesday, Monday slash Tuesday, both days. Yeah, I believe. Monday, um, Tuesday. At the Safeway. Tour has begun random testing of 30 drivers at tournaments this season. Uh, the next line in the article also says there's there's no suggestions manufacturers are making clubs that are not within the game's rules, which 
think it, the two sentences above that would, <laughs> would. I'm guessing. I guess that what that alludes to is you know the creep that you hear on all of these things. It's like you you make a driver that's conforming, and then the more center hits it gets, the more yeah. trampoline effect it has, and it, it kind of like slowly creeps over the line. So I, I'm guessing that's what right. the author meant. The author Andrew both. Or both. I'm not really sure how you pronounce it. It goes both. It goes ways. both ways. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm going to say just just I'm going to say exactly what we said after what happened at the Open Championship presented by Her Majesty the Queen. Uh, if you took if you and I will also say if you took Xander and or Callaway to task over what happened at uh, Portrush, I hope to God you are taking each one of the manufacturers and all five of these players, even if two of them are on my FredX Cup team. Look. <laughs> I was going to say, we need, we, we need to have you issue a statement. We'd like to today. push the limits, okay, of success. We're just moving so fast. We're breaking. Right. So, we're being so disruptive. Right. So what happened to Xander, and it, if maybe if it didn't, if this didn't get through to people at the time because it was Callaway-related, and we are, of course, sponsored by Callaway, is that almost all the drivers, and I can't say for sure, but a lot of the drivers on tour are, are nearing that limit. They are close to that limit. The guys are playing hotheads. And the more and more center hits you have, the more it can add a spring-like effect to the driver, and you can go over the limit. There's tolerances. We can get really technical if you want, but we a lot of these drivers are close. Yeah, we, I, I, I didn't do the research, actually. but We did on that one pod, if you want to go back yeah. to that recap. Um, but basically, for one, this is alarming. If five of 30, first of all— I was going to say, is that a good success rate? Yeah. 30 people randomly tested and five don't pass? Like, if what is that one-sixth one of the—so if one-sixth of the field is out to, so like, 30 guys a week, maybe, yeah. are, are having non-conforming drivers, if that sample—if that is believed to be a good sample, which it sounds like a very arbitrary and random number. Uh, no, I'm sure that PJ Tour did a ton of sampling <laughs> discuss, analysis into that. Uh, then, then we, there's a huge issue out there, which we said at the time, like, this is not, this was not a Callaway thing. It was not a Xander thing. Even that week alone, there were four guys that got dinged, um, and, and different manufacturers. It's like, all right, here's the issue. Like this is, this should have been tested a long time ago. I have no idea why it would never was. They should still be testing the three woods, which I don't know why they're not. Uh, and here we are five guys get dinged for it this week. I think it's like, Again, if you took a soapbox up to to shred everyone that was involved in July, I'm, I'm, my ears are keen to hear you do the same for these five guys. Uh, it's like the the uh, the four the four shouting police <laughs> that took up Bob McIntyre's side. Big shot, Bob, over Kyle Stanley. I hope every single time somebody doesn't yell four that you are roasting them as much as you did Stanley. So I think the only thing to say is ban all drivers. Drivers should be illegal. <laughs> yeah, I think, God, I can you imagine how much my world ranking would improve if, if <laughs> all drivers were banned? Um, so, yeah, a lot. I'm guessing a lot more to come. I'm, this has to be a big story, I would have to think. I mean, as big as a deal it was when, Z, when Xander Is got Is it, popped. though? Like, I mean, like, what's going to happen? Like, I, I'm with you, and it's like a huge – it seems like a huge issue facing professional golf. But, like, when you really look around the corner here at what's going to go down, like, I mean – is this something that's going to like break through to the mainstream? Like slow play, and I don't mean no. to be condescending, but it's like slow play is something that like everybody can wrap their head around. You know, it's like God, that guy's slow. Fuck that guy. Right. Like, whereas this is like, well, characteristic time and tolerances and trampoline effect and the way that's like it's just it's almost like too complex of a thing to have like a rational conversation about. Yeah, it's not, and people are like comparing it. Maybe I just listen to too many dumb people, but people are comparing it to like steroid era in baseball and cork bats and it's like no like basically the rules are written to say all right you can have 
three pieces of cork in your bat. But if you have four, then that's too <laughs> right. many, basically. I mean, the drivers are yeah. so insanely hot as yeah. it is now that it's not like that there's it's not like doping and cycling or anything like that. But if there is a rule, which the rule is absurd as it is, like the, the, these drivers shouldn't be launching the ball as far as they do. But there is a rule, and there's still it's still people are the drivers are still going over it because it's a difficult thing to measure and keep consistent and yeah, so they're they're so close to the line everyone wants as much distance as possible that there's going to be drivers that go over if it's a slap on the wrist and you got to change out your driver head there's no risk to players well that's so that's what i was going to say is what do you think about the idea of doing this all as like anonymous testing and granted it, uh, the reuters report named names and it is just a report and you know hopefully it's an accurate report and all of those names are not you know needlessly brought up in this conversation but uh i mean what what are your thoughts on that because like it does kind of absolve the players of the responsibility like you're saying i didn't love the people that are saying you know it's not the player's responsibility I, I, and xander you know i know i keep going back to this but he went and got his driver tested that week but at callaway and their measurement was below the tolerance so that, that's right. the, the gray area is like you can't even get an exact real well, it just shows you yeah how close it is yes yeah and so, but I, I, there's not much responsibility to take here. It's like the player's got to put a new driver in play. Yeah. So, but I still see no reason why Dustin Johnson, Jason Day wouldn't show up with a juiced up driver. And then right. if you and get, if they tested, get tested like, on Tuesday, oh, there's, all right, I'll hit yeah, my backup. We'll, yeah, exactly. That's fine. Like yeah. there's no punishment for it. So this may change things though. Maybe every driver is going to get tested. If, if you're going to, if it's going to be a sixth of the field that your testing is getting dinged, you got to test everybody. Or if if you're publishing the results of like, you know, if you are more more upfront about, like, I, like I'm just trying to go back to what I was just saying about, you know, is this something that can really like cross through to the mainstream? And I think kind of the only way you'd fix it would be it's a lot like the slow play stuff, which I know this would be kind of a transition into what we're going to talk about next, but it's a lot like that stuff in that it's like if you really want to have an impact, like you kind of need to air people out and, and make them fearful of yes. not failing the test. Yes. You know what I mean? Oh, and, otherwise you get like in this protected bubble yeah, circle exactly. of golf. And so and it, it is hard because more I, on that with the Ventura I'm thing. But sympath- sympathetic to the tour because it's, you know, the, the three words we uh, say all the time, member run organization. Right. Like I, of course the tour is not going to air out their members. Like, I mean, I completely get that, but at the same time, it's like, man, if you want to fix the issue here, it's, it's kind of you, you're kind of left with uh, not that many ways to do right. it. Right. <laughs> one of them is to air people out. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's transition exactly to that then with the Bryson slow play more. It bucks its head again. I don't think we'll spend as much time on this as we did the last time we talked about it. But I don't even know how this came back up. I guess Friday there was a, a, a press conference question to him or something. Yeah. I think it was. So he had a shot. I don't. I, we didn't get to watch a lot of the golf this weekend. Off a grandstand into a hazard and was apparently complaining about <laughs> which was sick. Yeah, by the way. was apparently complaining about it hitting the grandstand and going into a hazard and he didn't know where to drop and all that. Uh, I, I think he was know. basically saying if it didn't hit the grandstand, like it wouldn't have gone in the hazard. Yeah, which is like yeah, how but, often do grandstands it, help you? But then it did. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't know what to tell you. That is what we call the rub of the green, my yeah. friend. Anyways. Um, he, he brings it up something there's data. He says there's data out there and I'm going from a dead spin article. There's data out there now that shows that I'm not the slowest player at all by any means. What quite the boastful comment I mean, for sure. What a, what a statement yeah. of the 200 plus players that will play on the PGA tour. I am not the slowest player, <laughs> not the slowest one. Right. And then says when asked, he's like, I have the data 
out there. When asked to elaborate on the data he's referring to, DeChambeau is less than forthcoming. Well, the PGA Tour has it. I've seen it. I don't know if I can disclose any of it, but I'm definitely not in the top 10%. I'm not close to that. That's from Shotlink data. We have that. So I can say that I know I can say that without a shadow of a doubt. So not top 10%. So well, the like, top 10% is all caddies, first of all. <laughs> it's the caddies' fault. The they're, caddies. they're the slow ones. They so make up the whole top 10%. So he's quite clearly in the 11 to 20%. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, I am 11th percent slow. He's, not, he's definitely not in the top 20, or else he would have said, I'm not in the top 20%. Right, or top 50, or yeah. top 70. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, again, this is all just like a political spin that... I don't. If you buy this, I feel sorry for you. I don't know yeah. what. I don't even know what he's selling here. Yeah, I'm not like the slowest. I, I saw a tweet uh, this morning from this comic Mike Berbiglia, who's very funny. You should watch his stand up. But he was talking about politics and and just kind of like summing up politics in 2019. And the first quote was like, you know, hey, there's a cockroach in my meal. And the second quote was like, yeah, but what about the cockroaches in all the other restaurants? <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, but there's still like, like this one you're responsible for right here. Like, well, let's just talk about this one. And I kind of feel a little bit like, like that with, yes. with this. It's like, dude, yeah, no, for sure. There's other problems, but like, let's just focus on one thing at a right. time here. Like your caddy is the problem. <laughs> your caddy. Tim is the slow. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's the problem. Tim. Tim. <laughs> uh, last, <laughs> last thing for the safe way. Um, One one more thing on that real quick is like, it's similar to the driver testing stuff. And I kind of alluded to this, but like, if you want to, if so to set the context, which I don't know if we totally did, it came out at the end of, I don't know, at the end of the season or the Northern trust, the whole, it feels, it still feels to me like it's like the 2013 season has just never ended because there's no off season and it all just keeps, just all keeps going. It never stops. So I have no sense of, of time or space, but, uh, it came out that like the tour is looking into the slow play stuff, blah, blah, blah. They have shot link. They're going to use hashtag big data to solve the problem. And uh, one of the things was that they were saying was like, we, we've created these individualized reports for everybody so they can see how long it takes them to play shots and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And so on one hand, again, I get not airing out your members and I get protecting, you know, the, the interested parties in a quote member run organization. But on the other hand, it's like if you want to, like if you want to speed these guys up, like the only way to do it in my mind is like public shaming. And so I think like maybe a maybe a, a, a well place to meet in, the, meet in the middle would be like just tell us who the twenty fastest people are, right? And like let us like celebrate those guys and like let us create kind of like some positive some positive reinforcement with these guys, you know, like try to get in the top 20, try to get in the top 50, whatever. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe that's a place to start, but at least like give us some context at how fast a player should be. Cause right now, like I even kind of have no idea what it, you know what we be. could do? I just got an idea. We could reach out to every PGA tour player and ask for the data. Sure. And we'll release get, the tapes. We'll get maybe half of them and it will clearly be only the top half. That's a good point actually. Yeah. <laughs> we can assume that everybody else is just the slow. If you're an anonymous PGA tour whistleblower, yeah. <laughs> uh, please reach out to no up at gmail.com. Not a your, spy, just a whistleblower. Just a whistleblower. Uh, You'll be protected. At, to that point costs. on, on uh, member run organizations is it doesn't mean that there's no rules. 
like everyone within the organization needs to follow a set of rules and yeah. they have come up with a set of rules related to slow play. Well, cause that's, so that's, if you don't enforce them against the people that violate them, you're, the people you're that are hurting, paying the price yeah, exactly, totally. are the ones following them. Exactly. And that is where it's like Slugger White's explanation for the slow play made zero sense <laughs> of like, <laughs> that was literally the best. We should do an entire podcast on that quote yes. where he was pulling the thread of, you know, if I give someone a slow play penalty, uh, you know, it's possible they could lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's possible that keeps them from buying a house. It's possible that keeps their kid from going to the college he wants to go to or she <laughs> wants to go to. And yeah, it was just like, which that house doesn't magically appear. <laughs> like if, if it costs that one person a house in a college, you know, it, it or I should say if, if one person is getting the benefit by the slow play of getting the house in college, it's costing someone else that opportunity. Right. So exactly. there is an even trade off, but anyways, yeah. that's enough on the slow play. Uh, quickly, I don't know if anybody cares about this, but the Christopher Ventura, t- we didn't even talk about Romo. Romo like, shot a 200 par 70. Yeah. Uh, I will maintain that every event should have a, a round scratch player For sure. that plays in it that we can all follow. Some weeks they'll shoot 90, like maybe one time out of every two years, somebody will make the cut at a tour event and it'd be awesome to follow every week. I would maybe go even further. I think that was like the Spencer Hall thing that every Olympic sport yes. should have an average player, the average player to show like to show context. Yes. Uh, but golf, especially. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so perfect because every golfer has gone through the experiment of like, what well, if I played the back tees and tournament conditions, like I could make it, I could, you know, I could shoot eight seventy eight out right. there. Shout out to Tron, which, <laughs> which is like a, a real thing. I mean, I think a lot of people like your best 20% rounds, if you went to the back tees and did it in tournament conditions, you would post a respectable number, but the other 80%. Yeah, it's like exactly. That's what happened to Roman in the second round, which is sure. like, okay, a couple things go wrong, boom, 76 or but, whatever. like, kudos to him, man. Like, yes, and I know he, impressive. He's, he's had a couple, like, you know... Opportunities. A couple opportunities or a couple, like, tournaments under his belt, which sounds stupid to say because he's still right. a former, like, NFL quarterback. But it definitely about, is a factor. That's a factor, I know. I, I think about this all the time. Like, there are... How many NFL teams are there? 32? Yeah. There are 32 starting quarterbacks right. in the world. Of all the people who have ever played quarterback, of right. all the people who have ever played football, <laughs> there's only 32 that make it to that point. Right. Imagine being able to do that and to break par at a PJ Tour <laughs> event. And like Steph Curry is obviously like well, the, I was same, say, the same boat. But. Even more impressive. Romo is at least after his playing his yeah. football playing career. Steph Curry, while being an MVP, being the best, <laughs> yeah. in theory, LeBron's still better, the best, in theory, basketball player in the NBA, shot a 71 in a Corn Ferry event. It's, which, I know they're different, but they're not that different. The, like, nothing, it's hard to make me, it, it's kind of like the Alex Honnold uh, free solo stuff, where you just watch it, you're like, God, dude, we're just like different species. Yes. Like, there's yeah. no way, like, how am I supposed to compete with you on, like, anything? <laughs> uh it's yeah it's very all the all the kudos to Tony yeah Robo. so like let's that put awesome. all of it to bed any like anyone complaining about a sponsor's exemption going to curry or yeah. romo or anything like that because it's worth following i'm not even a romo fan in any kind but like i was hanging on to i was checking hole by hole like well, i think how it's doing yeah i think it's a fine line still i mean i think it still has to you still have to kind of pass the test of like public interest or, or public caring because there's still plenty of people who 
like sponsor exemptions are still very shady in a lot of spots, especially on the Corn Ferry Tour. Right, people are buying spots and like yeah, there's a whole like, but a lot black of them go set up. A lot of them goes to like go to like pros that are like buddies with the tournament director, like older pros. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like so, so what I'm saying is like I don't think it's just like willy nilly. Like no, no. anybody who can break par like should get a sponsor exemption. No. But like it still has to pass. Like it still has to be interesting to the to the public. Of 156 spots every week, like it going to one interesting person yes. to see how they would totally shoot. Agree. Even if you shoot 90. Chosen by a panel of us. Yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll decide. We're <laughs> yeah. officially the sponsors, uh, sponsors exemption committee. Lastly on this, uh, Romo, from 278 yards, hit into the group in front of him on Friday, I believe. Yeah, it was Friday. Yeah. And hit it to like five feet. Uh, Christopher Ventura is going to go put tap, like, tap in a putt for par. And I will explain the video how I saw it, which was he kind of gets in his stance and then wiggles a little bit more into his stance and steps directly in Romo's line, which may or may not have been his intended stance, which is fine. Uh, I'm not saying he stepped in it intentionally, but tapped in for par. And then after he got out, looked like he looked down at the ball and like made a motion with his head at the ball. And I just I like so the, the announcers like said, I think the announcers even said something like, oh, he doesn't look too pleased with Romo hitting into his group. And I don't know where the spitting thing came from. I honestly don't. All of a sudden, people are like, "We." I literally quote retweeted the video and said, "Sick," because it was sick. Well, I took that as like it's sick to see somebody like hit into another group on the PGA Tour. That whole scenario was (laughs) something you'd see on like Sunday morning at your yes, like drama. This was drama. Like I I don't know when. All of a sudden, I see a Golf Digest article. Did Christopher Ventura spit at Romo's balls? Like wait, what? Where do we get that? I yeah. mean, there was no evidence that he spit. I never, I definitely never said that. People are blowing me up from left and right on, you know, fanning the flames on this. I'm like, no, dude. Like, this was a scenario that doesn't happen on the PGA Tour. PGA Tour players don't hit into each other like that. And uh, he looked pissed about it, and it was justified. If he was pissed, it was justified. For sure. Ventura re- responded on Twitter saying, I didn't spit. Sorry to disappoint you guys. I was like, I didn't say you did, buddy, but... <laughs> Uh, we are all fans of Christopher Ventura. We're rooting for him. Uh, I, I did not think any, la- I thought more of him after the scenario because sure. he looked pissed off. Yeah. I would have been like, are you kidding me? This jackass pro golf football <laughs> announcer hits into me. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, so yeah, that's my rant on that. I it just, it, it epitomized why I don't like fuck with Twitter anymore. It's yeah. just a, shithole i hate it <laughs> it sucks man follow us on Twitter everything for, gets for, yeah. for updates on but like everything content. gets dumbed down to this like yeah. it like, which is where it's just kind of like like just ignore it like who cares like it's yeah it's, it's not that e- when it's like that every thing. day though it's not worth it but it's imagine fun. like so I, I think about this a lot too like imagine like in golf it's still so freaking tame like golf is like i think that's kind of Yes. One of the biggest issues with golf and people in golf industry and whatever. I think that's why everything turns into, you know, God, these guys are such class acts. Like it's the class acts open every yes. every week is because like there's still a little like the the floodgates haven't opened on like the complete hostile shitstorm that it is in every other sport. Or yes. politics or you know, music or whatever. All the like other golf sports is, that are thriving more than golf. Yeah. Is. yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. But that's the thing, is like there's still a small amount, like it's counterintuitive, but there's still like a small enough amount of negativity on Twitter that it like matters. Whereas yes. in every other sport, yes, it's, it's just like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. No, those are just that's trolls. It, like who cares? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's almost uh, like we need more negativity to just have everybody maybe, turn it off. Maybe here we go. I guess 
Uh, lastly, before we get to the Akshay interview, Rory had uh, Rory had some comments after the Alfred Dunhill links this past weekend. Do you have those quotes for us, Mr. DJ Pine? No. Okay. <laughs> Am I supposed to? No, I did not prepare okay. you for that. Uh, from John Huggins, friend of the pod, <laughs> golfdigest.com report at the Dunhill. I'm sort of honestly sick of coming back over to the European Tour and shooting 15 under par and finishing 30th said McElroy, who has played only four regular European Tour events, uh, non-majors, non-WGCs, this season. At the Dunhill, Rory posted scores of 70, 67, 70, 67. Sorry, the second round was 66. Doesn't matter. Yet finished seven back of winner Victor Perez and said, I don't think the courses are set up hard enough. There's no penalties for bad shots. It's tough when you come back and it's like that. I don't feel like good golf is regarded as well as it could be. It happened at the Scottish Open at Renaissance. I shot 13 under and finished 30th, actually T34. Again, it's not a good test. I think if the European Tour wants to put forth a really good product, the golf courses and setups need to be tougher. I'm reading that from jeffshackelford.com. What are your thoughts on Mr. McElroy's comments? Well, first of all, long live uh, Rory post-round like brain dumps. Only on the European Tour because he's Mr. PGA Tour. Well, now. that's true. I just mean like... Rory, like, don't, no matter what people say about this, like, I saw already this morning he issued, like, an Instagram apology no. and blah, blah, blah. So, what I want to make first and foremost very clear is, like, keep expressing your opinion. And, like, maybe some people are going to agree with it. Maybe some people aren't. But, like, what you think about golf courses and what you think about everything, like, matters because you're one of the best players in the world. And, like, we care what you think and we want to hear what you think. And don't go put it behind a paywall. Well, I, I was going to kind of say that, like, you know, a perfect place for an outlet, like like a perfect outlet for thoughts like this is a podcast where you can flesh these thoughts out a little bit more and we can have more of a, a repartee back and forth. But, like, it does get dumbed down and it gets, it gets uh, you know, it just becomes more shrill when it's in yes, print, in print yes. in black and white. And that's not the journalist's fault. And it's not like that's yeah. just the nature of, you know, how it is. But it was the whole reason he came. So I feel like the whole reason he used to come on our podcast was like he would get tired of things getting dumbed down to the lowest common denominator of what he said. And he had a chance to laugh about it yeah. and speak about it. And it cleared a lot of things up in a lot of people's minds. So but, I think what happens when you have these little, like when you have these pull quotes, and I'm not by any means like apologizing for it. Like we can get into what he actually said and what we think about it. But what happens is you take two sentences of this now will become like the European tour is like too easy basically right what's going to be distilled down into this and like I don't think that's what he's saying I mean that's a a bit like there's a kernel of that in there but what I would love is just like him talking about this for 15 minutes and giving more examples and giving more like I just want to hear more of what he has to say rather than just it's going to get dumbed down into like right the PJ tour is too easy Rory hates the PJ tour he only likes the players he only likes the FedEx cup like it's like dude that's not maybe that's part of part of part of it but like that's not the whole story like you know that's not the whole story and that's why he like if i was him this is this kind of just speaks to like you know if if you were like a famous person why the fuck would you ever say anything never ever like why tigers played it perfectly what upside is there to ever like give any thoughts right because people just ruin it and it's it sucks man it's it's very depressing to see what happens every time somebody famous like opens their mouth and doesn't have 20 minutes to right. like, give a full explanation of what they're saying. That's why podcasts are successful. Yeah. Um, to finish out Rory's quote, he said, it's been a great year. I've won big events and I've consistently played well. Every week I show up, I shoot good scores and play good golf. If I continue to do that, I'll be in a good spot. I don't want to travel that much anymore. I've done it for 12 years. 
I want to have easy flights and not have to go across eight, nine time zones and have to get acclimatized. I'm happy to do what I've done this year. So basically, it's like, a, how can you argue with that? <laughs> not even a little bit can I argue with that. But I agree with a lot of what he said. And there's also kind of, I'm kind of like, okay, you're, he's not a European tour member this year. He didn't take up membership. I don't believe, at least that was the story at the beginning of the year. I don't know if he's earned it through playing enough events, whatever. Say. It's still 2013. Who, yeah. Who, knows, <laughs> Who but, could say? Yeah. But if you're not going to be a part of that tour, I don't know how you can come in and criticize it. And right? I think that was like his Instagram apology here okay. was basically like, you know, this was not the place to like spout right. off about this. And I was just venting after, yeah. after a week where I didn't, you know, perform the way that I kind of right. hoped. And I think that's like the big criticism that a lot of people are going to have is like, well, dude, this was a pro-am setup and it's that's not supposed to be that's hard. I and yeah. uh, I think, you know, Renaissance, it feels stupid to say it that way, but Renaissance, the Renaissance club uh, was, you know, that was another example of like, there wasn't much wind and we can, you know, everybody knows like these links courses. It's like, if there's no wind, if there's no conditions, like, yeah, people are going to go crazy freaking low and you know, bad shots are not going to be punished as much. Mm-hmm. And all, like, it's a rub of the green. That's, that's the way it goes. Yeah. I, I, I again, I want, I don't want to nitpick after ranting about how uh, you shouldn't nitpick what he says. Like, 13 under on a bunch of par 72 golf courses that well, are set up for pro-am. It's yeah, not, I was going to say. He'll tell you that's not good enough. Par is, yeah, par is also, this is a good example of par being kind of a construct. It too, is. Right? Like, it, it, we've been saying this for years, of course, par is relevant. And it, I do think there is something to a bunch of scores being bunched, though, yeah. that shows that golf courses aren't set up very hard. It's like either par or birdie. Right. And, you know, going back to whatever the dope quote was of, like, the best golf holes are where the line between birdie and bogey is very close. And yeah. I think that's kind of what he's getting at is there's not, and kind of what Justin Rose was mad about at the, the setup the at the Ryder cup. cup. Yeah. Um, pins are too easy. Um, that, you know, if, if you don't have risk to take on to try to make birdies, then it just, everyone's going to end up bunched and it's not a great test of skill. Now, again, every, almost everything comes back to professional golf is an entertainment product. Yeah. And if you're going to have Justin Timberlake out there and For sure. Luke Wilson and, you know, make a big deal about the pro-am part, you're not going to set up the pins to be, you know, to, to really test the best golfers in the world. Totally. And so there's a trade-off with all this stuff. There is, so. but I, I think that, you know, I know we're, we're speaking about a pro-am setup, which again, like, I don't want to pretend like Rory was saying that, you know, was was projecting this pro-am setup into like everything. Maybe he was a little bit, but he, he obviously had more thoughts on his mind. But I think that, you know, to your point, like it is an entertainment product. And if they did set up the golf courses harder, like more entertaining, you know, stars would probably shine more. So I do think he's right. On, yes. I think he's right on a lot of this stuff. But, you know, I think the natural comparison everybody's going to probably make is to the PJ Tour as well. And I, I, our, our guy Nosferatu uh, was at VC606 on Twitter. Uh, one of the like best Twitter followers or follows there is out there he's always doing world ranking stuff and um but he was basically breaking down kind of like the average scores between the european tour and the pj tour and like on average like the pj tour always has lower it's like a stroke and a half lower than the european tour and so i guess the Mm -hmm. natural counter to that would be there's better players on the pj tour but uh i don't know the whole thing is just uh, i think both sides can be right and i don't want to make it a cop out but like there are weeks, like I think Safeway is probably a pretty good example, where it's like, yeah, you can kind of hit it all over the park and you're not going to be punished yeah. super hard. And I, so I think it's kind of funny to have this conversation on a week where Cam Champ, like one of the, you know, 
non-premier ball strikers on tour uh, goes and wins because I think there's there's definitely some truth to what Rory's saying. Well, but to me, the whole thing reads as Rory. That last part I wanted to read, I thought was important because it reads as him looking for a just like trying to justify probably to European media why he's not playing the European tour anymore. Right. Which all that makes the last part made the most sense. Yeah. I don't think he's not going over there because he's. I don't think he felt like he shot, played his best golf, shot 13 under and looked up and was like, oh, I finished 30th. What right. the hell? I think he's probably didn't play his best golf and, you know, is a little peeved. Like, it's the same reason, like, we walk off a golf course, we didn't play great. Yeah. And we kind of nitpick it. It's like, that didn't feel great to me. That whole, I didn't have a great week. And I'm not going to stand up and say rosy things at the end of it. So there's, there's a couple, it's all inter- fair. there's a couple interesting things too there where, one thing I think he's going to probably get punished on for these quotes, fairly or unfairly, is, you know, okay, well, when we had a really hard setup at Royal Portrush, like, how did that go? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think, granted, that's one week and whatever. Right. That's cherry picking. That's, yeah. One week, but. That's the headline from this one. <laughs> Was it? DJ, no. <laughs> no, yeah, it's from this year. Yeah, exactly. DJ Pie says, well, Rory. Rory too big a pussy for majors. <laughs> uh, but, no, there, there's that part of it. But I think that the other thing is, you know, his comments were directly or indirectly like about the old course as well. And so what happens if the wind doesn't blow in 2021 when the opens at, at the old course and we end up having this, you know, yeah, he's singing Randy's tune right now. That's true. Old course obsolete, but it's like what, you know, it, it is kind of a, a canary in the coal mine a little bit where it's like, dude, what if we have just a horrible setup and like a very non-deserving winner of a major championship at the most famous course in golf? Yeah. Like that's, that's not good either. So I, I know that there's a 0% chance that this happens, like maybe less than zero. But if there was ever going to be a time where a golf tournament should be held, where they everyone's got to play the same exact golf sure. ball, yeah. it should be the 2021 Open at the old course. Yeah, I think they probably would. That'd been, be sick. I think they probably would have announced that by now if that was going to happen. But that'd be but, sick if they just did a week of. But you know what always, you know what always, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what always like shakes me to my core is like this idea that, like, oh my God, changing a golf ball. Like, can you imagine what a shit storm that would be? Can you imagine? We yeah. might need 15 years to prep yeah. for that change and to tie it all together. When Rory was on the podcast, he sat with you and I in the hotel room and he said, we asked him directly, like, how long would it take you to adjust to a ball? He's like, oh, I don't know. You know, like a couple rounds. Yeah. Three rounds, four a, rounds. A week. Yeah. A week yeah. would be, would yeah. be fine. We'd, we'd totally have it dialed in. I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I expect why are months. we not doing this? <laughs> why are we not funding this? <laughs> All right. Uh, we went longer than I think we were planning to for a, uh, for the, for a false fall series week, but uh, let's roll in our interview with Akshay Batia and uh, we'll see you guys again soon. Cheers. Easily by far, by a long shot, the youngest uh, member we've ever had on the podcast. I just want you to say it out loud. We're with Akshay Batia. What year were you born in? 2002. That's just, that's absurd. You're almost, I'm almost, almost twice as old as you. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you're out in Napa for your second uh, event as a professional. You just turned pro last week, played in your first event as a pro. It wasn't your first PGA Tour event, but again, like I said, the first as a pro. What Was it any different than your previous start? It was. I mean, I kind of got that, that wow factor out of the out of the equation, so I was, I was pretty calm. It, I mean, it was a great week just to get it started. I obviously didn't play my best golf, but I'm just learning along the way, and I'm ready to go for this week. All right, so you just you just signed with Callaway. You're 17 years old. What's it like 
having like a, has the check cleared yet like you got a little bit of money in your pocket yet for somebody your age you probably should you're probably walking around with more money than you should what has that changed life at all not yet uh only only money i got right now is i beat pat and kazire in a practice round and took a little bit of cash off of them but oh, <laughs> other than damn. that wallets wallets still not not big Oh, you gotta you gotta learn. You're gonna have to learn quickly. You don't air out uh, air out other pros when you take money off of them in a practice round. But uh, all right, I wanna I wanna know. Okay, so you mentioned kind of last week you didn't play didn't play your best golf. Is there is there any concern at all on your end for that first tournament? And I have usually people really overreact, and I actually haven't seen any overreaction to it. But did anything feel different for you being out there on that stage compared to other golf events you've played in? Not really. You know, I work with uh george gankis and we talk about just having no expectations going into the week so i i mean i wasn't i wasn't expecting anything out of myself just to have fun and i mean i just i just got a little tired i had to i had to play 32 holes that second day and it was whatever 95 degrees so that was that was a bit challenging because i just made some lazy swings coming down uh that i guess the last 12 15 holes but I mean, overall, it's just it was an awesome experience, and you know, I'm ready to go for this week. And this this place is pretty pure, so can't wait to get going. Well, let's. You mentioned George there. I want to I want to find out and understand kind of the timeline of when when you met George, how you got to meet George, and what your swing looked like before you started working with him, and how how he got the you know the most out of you to this point. Yeah. Uh, so I was eight. I was in eighth grade. I'm a senior now, so I think that's uh, five years I've worked with George, and it's kind of crazy. I mean, I didn't I didn't have a swing coach before, and so the first time I saw George was my cousin John. He's like, I was playing a Monday qualifier for the Farmers, I believe, and uh, I was I wasn't in it great. And my cousin goes, "Dude, let's go see my coach." He's 45 minutes away. We can probably get you in. And at the time, George wasn't as busy as he is now. But uh, so that's kind of how I got to meet him. And my swing was pretty similar. It's just a lot tighter and a lot better now. Obviously, I've gained speed and just kind of I understand the golf swing now. So, you know, I I know what I need to look for. But that's kind of how George and I have met. And it's been an awesome relationship ever since. You say you uh, you say you understand the golf swing better now. What what does that mean? What have you learned about the golf swing? And is it is it uh, is it your swing in particular? You think that you've yeah. uh, especially learned about? I've definitely just I just understand what I need to look for when I'm looking at my swing videos, or you know I'll Facetime George a lot a lot more than I probably should. But yeah, I just I know what I need to look for, and I understand when I'm doing something correct or I'm not. So, all right, let's uh, let's set the scene for anyone that hasn't seen you play before. What is your what is your game like? What are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? Uh, and, and just I don't know if if the little bit of time you've spent out on the PGA Tour has kind of uh, helped you identify weaknesses if there are any. But uh, d- define your game. Are you long, medium, short? Are you a, just a great putter? What? Uh, how would you define your game? Well, you know, last week I. We have strokes gained now, and my stats are I was top 10 in driving distance, which is pretty cool because I'm 128 pounds to 130 pounds, and I'm in it. I think my average is like 318 or something. So that's, I mean, that's pretty cool just knowing that, you know, as I get bigger, I'm hopefully going to be one of the longer guys on tour when I'm 20, 21. Um, so I did learn that I need to improve on the par five scoring and 
you know, I look back on the, on the days and just try and figure out what, what caused me to make pars or what didn't, you know, what did I not do to, to take advantage of the holes out there? Because that's the biggest thing on the PGA tour. I feel like is if you can play the par fives, great, then you can, uh, you can definitely, you know, make a lot of cash. Is there a noticeable difference in the way golf courses are set up compared to, you know, most of your experience, and we're going to get to kind of India into some of your experiences with Monday qualifiers and whatnot. Obviously, the majority of your experience is playing amateur golf events. Is it, does it feel like a really drastic difference compared to what you're mostly used to? I think the biggest thing is how much the golf course changes over the week as it goes on. I mean, mm-hmm. I played junior golf at some of the you know, some really good golf courses, TPC Sawgrass, PJ National, you know, Baltistral. And the courses here just get so firm so fast. And the club, they're just the clubs into the greens are just so different. I remember playing Valspar and I was hitting eight iron from like 200 yards and it was landing 180, which is like never happens in junior golf or amateur golf. So I think that's the biggest thing that I've noticed on the PGA Tour so far. Was that uh, any, I guess you got some of that experience playing in the Walker Cup at Royal Liverpool uh, earlier this month. Had you played any Lynx golf before, or was this your first experience doing that? Yeah, I knew I was going to be pretty close for the Walker Cup, so I I ended up going to play the British Amateur, the European Amateur, and then uh, British Open final stage qualifying. So I played a bit of of Lynx golf, but it wasn't anything like the, the Walker Cup. That golf course is basically a true links golf course and you know the two irons are going 350 yards is pretty amazing did you enjoy that style of play oh it was great i mean the practice rounds that we had was cold windy rainy and then we get to saturday sunday and it's 60 degrees and 10 miles of wind so it did it definitely favored americans uh going over there but it, it's fun because you gotta i mean you gotta play more conservative and just different shots you got to hit from I remember I was playing practice round on my own I hit two iron from 180 and barely got to the golf to the green <laughs> did you lean on any of your teammates that maybe had a little more experience playing that and kind of what uh wh- who did you play with over there and kind of what uh what did you get out of that experience from uh, playing with such a an incredible collective group of talent I mean we're all we were all really good and we were I mean we're all still pretty new to links golf you're never going to really figure that out but obviously Brandon Wu played in the open championship so his experience he kind of helped us on i guess the type of shots you need to practice before the rounds and i played with Stuart Hagestad mid-am he was he was great i mean he played in the walker cup in 2017 so he he knew what the feelings we would all get uh on that first tee or in singles matches so we kind of relied on him a little bit and what he had to say for us but he knew we were all good enough to do it and just a self-belief at the end of the day that brought the trophy home for us. You've played in uh, team events before, Junior President's Cup and Junior Ryder Cup, I believe, if I have my uh, records right. But you did that? Did anything com- compare to competing in an event like the Walker Cup? Nothing. Nothing will ever compare to that. Once you play that, it's like you're in a fraternity for life. And just everything about that event, especially going overseas and the crowds there, it's just unbelievable, and it's definitely prepared me for, you know, what I'm going to expect on the PGA Tour in these bigger, these bigger stages. But it was just something I'm just 
super happy to be part of. Was when did your plan on when you were going to be turning professional uh, come about? And I, I want to get into the specifics of why. You know, when did when did it become clear that you were going to wait till directly after the Walker Cup? And also, when did you kind of make it clear to yourself that you were not going to be attending college and were going to be turning pro at a at a very young age? Yeah. So I mean, I, I grew up in LA. Oh, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't that good growing up. I we played the U.S. Kids World, my sister and I, in Pinehurst, North Carolina. And I was eight years old. I wasn't very good. I think I finished like 40th. But we were just checking some houses out and eventually moved to Raleigh, North Carolina in 2011. And I think I was right when we moved here, I was, you know, I was able to practice at some pretty nice facilities. And I think I just told my dad, I was like, Dad, I just want to play golf, like, I don't enjoy school that much. I just I just want to be out there on the golf course all day, and that's, I mean, that's all I put my work and, and my passion towards. So, I mean, I told my dad, I don't I don't really have any interest in going to college. And obviously, I, when I was in eighth grade, I'm I'm just saying that because I just want to play golf all day. But as time goes on, you know, I got better and better and better. And then last year was kind of the the point where I knew I was ready to, to compete and I'm good enough to be out there. I, I just did so many great things and just proved to myself that I can, I can be out on the PGA tour and my game's good enough. So that was, I guess the reason I turned pro is just because my mind was all set to it and there's never looking back. So are you, you are officially homeschooled and how long, when was the time frame of when that started? And, and, uh, and I guess what, are you continuing school through like the end of this coming spring or how, how does your school schedule work? Yeah. So I think I started when I was in, right when I moved to North Carolina, I think it was in eighth grade or freshman year. I, I started doing online schooling. I mean, it just was way more convenient. I could travel with schoolwork. I could get way ahead of my school and then I would have time to practice. So I, I mean, it's been great. Obviously, you can't miss a lot of school. And as much as I traveled playing junior golf, I uh, I just was missing too much school. And my principal wasn't too happy with it. So now it's just I've graduated early. Uh, I have my high school diploma, which is awesome. And, you know, if I ever need to do anything else, I have the opportunity to do it. But I'm just in a great spot right now where I don't have to worry about finishing up school and I can just focus on what I need to do. Without indicting yourself on on any of this, how, what's the what's the workload like for 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 that kind of online school? I mean, is is it a significant you know weight off your shoulders, and are you just able to get things done faster than you know sitting in a in a school building for six to eight hours a day or whatever it is? Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely a lot easier. Uh, I I get a better understanding when I do it on my own versus trying to listen in a classroom, which is dead silent. <laughs> I just I don't know. It's certainly easier and you can just get it done way faster than, you know, when scheduled assignments are in, in school. How much of an influence did uh, what Jack Nicholas had to say about his college experience? I believe what he told to you, what, how much of an influence did that have on, uh, on your decision-making process? And can you, uh, can you, can you read back what he said to you? Yeah. So Walker cup practice session, we uh, were fortunate to play the bears club and have lunch with Jack Nicholas and Matt, Matt Wolf, he he asked a question. He said, "You know what? We have one one of the players here. He's not going to go to college. What's your take on it?" 
and he said, if you're going to play golf, then I don't, I don't see the point in going to school, which obviously was just something you wouldn't ever expected to come out of Jack Nicholas's mouth. But that was, that was crazy. But obviously if you want to get an education, you want to get a degree and your focus on is, is on golf and school, then he said, that's, that's great. But hearing that from him was kind of, kind of cool because he's obviously done some amazing things in this game and doesn't doesn't say anything against what I what I'm doing well everyone kind of tends to be an expert on these things and without really even knowing much of your backstory or your preparation process for for the PGA Tour a lot of people I guess the question should be do you do you receive any advice or criticism about the process you've decided to take and how do you deal with that if so yeah I mean it's gone both ways obviously it's it, it in a way it was really hard not to go to college because at the end of the day you want to you want to win a national championship for the for the school your team yourself and people say it's some of the best you know four years of your life but a lot of people say you take the criticism the motivation you want to prove them wrong you hear Brooks Kepka talk about it all the time and just seeing what Matt Wolf's done Colin's done it's uh certainly inspiring that if I can if they can do it I can do the same thing just a little younger and uh hopefully you know the starts I have I can make the most of it and you know be on my way what what would you say is some of the best advice you've received so far probably just to be just be humble have fun and you know you're good enough to be out here just you got to truly believe that you are and just stay patient really because obviously at 17 some people can try and stay at the golf course all day and, you know, want to be out there, be in awe, but, you know, it's time to work and just be patient, just stay hungry and whatever happens, happens. You know, in following your, your progress these last few years, one thing that has always impressed me is your willingness and eagerness to put yourself out there in the most difficult of situations being, you know, you know, playing at a PGA tour event, obviously any, any opportunity you get to play in a professional event, you're going to take, but playing in a ton of Monday qualifiers, was there a moment, I guess, you know, I guess a lot of people that, you know, haven't gone through that path, myself included, don't really know the major difference between playing top amateur events and playing in Monday qualifiers. And they're both extremely competitive, but was there ever a time or a turning point where you felt like, whoa, I, I played in this, and you know what? I belonged out there, and that surprised me, and now I have way more confidence. Did you ever feel, is there any specific event that you look back at and say that was the turning point? I don't know if there was a turning point, but probably the greatest feeling was winning the Jones Cup and earning my first PJ Tour exemption before I got into Valspar. That was probably the the point where I was like, finally, I'm in a PGA Tour event. I did it on my own, and like, I'm ready to be out there, and I can't wait. But just, I've done Monday qualifiers since I was um, 13 or 14 years old, <laughs> and I've been so close. I was just so close to getting in so many times. It's like I just want to get there. I want to get there, and I mean, I've gotten into several playoffs. I've been on the cut all day, and then someone shoots. 61 and kicks me out or i mean i monday qualified into one web web.com event this year which is probably the greatest feeling in the world but how many mondays would you say you've played uh i'm gonna say i've played at least i don't know 30 something 
what's the what's the mindset going into one of those things? I mean, because you got to take it deep. I mean, is it if you start if you're one over through four holes, is it really easy to give up? I guess what if what how do you approach that kind of mindset mentally versus you know what is a four day tournament? Honestly, it's probably the greatest feeling in the world knowing that you have to go out and do something special, and you can't. I mean. I've watched a bunch of I've played with a bunch of guys who've started out not so hot and end up making it. So, yes, it's easy to give up, but it also is just like you got to grind away. You got to focus harder than you'd ever imagine on every shot. You can't let it. You can't let one shot slip away out there. And I mean, it just prepares you to to go low, and that's what you got to do on the web or the corn ferry and PJs where you got to learn how to shoot those low numbers. And Monday qualifiers certainly help you with those. So you've got you've got seven sponsors exemptions that you can use. What is your philosophy with that? One is it is it pretty easy for you with your, the notoriety that you have for you to to get some sponsors exemptions into these events? And is your philosophy you know going to be to get the use the first seven that you get? Is there any kind of brainstorming that uh, or application of of experience that you're trying to apply towards you know, using up those sponsors exemptions? That's kind of where I lean more towards my sports agency because they they've been out there they they've watched my agents watch me plenty plenty of times so he he'll know what kind of golf courses I I should play and what tournaments we should apply for but I mean I I have three three straight starts starting out this last week and you know if you can get hot then that that's huge because the the momentum can definitely carry on towards these these several weeks and you know try and make as many FedEx Cup points as I can and hopefully if I need to take some time off and then if I need to get ready for for later on in the in this season then I'll do that. So what is what is your goal with these exemptions? Are you are you I assume you're going for special temporary membership? Is there any kind of backup plan, Q score, anything else this fall? Uh, regarding you know what what are, what is what is the backup plan saying because a lot of people don't appreciate how hard it is to get special temporary membership you know you need seven starts to basically earn as much as the 125th guy on last year's FedEx Cup list obtained so what what is what is your plan let's say it doesn't it doesn't work out uh, what's the next step for you yeah so second stage of Q school I'll do at uh, Southern Hills I think that's sometime in November whatever happens there happens but. If not, like I said, George and I always talk about being okay with anything, any outcome. And if I have to do money qualifiers and do it that way, I'm, that's fine. So just take it one one time, one step at a time. All right. Now we're gonna go all the way back then to uh, to February at the Valspar. I know we kind of kind of talked a little bit around this, but I want to know. You know, you've never been one to shy around from the big stage, as we mentioned. But all right, first tee Thursday. At the Valspar, did that feel any different than any other event you played in? Yeah, I, my heart was racing, <laughs> and I was the last tee time out. Was the last ball that I that was hit that first day, and the wind was blowing. And Copperhead's not a very easy golf course, so I mean that first hole, I just I remember my family was there, and there's so many people around me. And one of my coaches at the time just said, just hit it as hard as you can. <laughs> I think I think that was my longest drive all week. I think I hit it like 340 or something. But, yeah, I was definitely nervous. Were you starstruck at all being out there? I mean, was there anyone that you kind of bumped into that you were like, oh, wow, I guess I'm really on the big stage now? I don't know if I was starstruck, but it was cool. I was 
I think it was Wednesday or Tuesday, I was hitting balls, and left of me was Dustin Johnson, right of me was Jason Day. And I was like, wow, this is this is a pretty cool spot to be in. So I, I probably just being around those guys, obviously done some pretty good things, and Dustin was number one at the time. That was, that was pretty cool. What did you learn that week? That I'm, I just, I want to be out there, and that's the life I want to have. It was just, it was obviously a great experience and the support that I had going there was was amazing. I was thankful for the opportunity that uh, Tracy West gave me that week. I definitely learned that I need to get better at my driving and my wedges because that's kind of where all those guys are doing better than me. That was definitely going to be uh, going to be one of my questions. But what is uh, what's the reception? So two starts. What's your, the reception been like on tour? I mean, have guys gone out of their way to say hello to you? It'd be especially nice to you. What have you? What kind of welcome have you felt out there? I mean, it's been great. I haven't run into anyone who's who's given me uh, any beef. But I mean, it's it's great. They kind of just treat me like another another guy and. You know, if there's anything I need, I can I can rely on some of these guys. But it's been fun. Doesn't feel much different, honestly. I expected myself to be out here and thankful for the opportunities I have now. So I mean, it's it's awesome. You mentioned Pat and Kazai or anybody else you've uh, you've sought out for practice rounds or who have you uh, who have you been uh, practicing with, if anyone? Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate to play with John Rahm at Valspar, and I played with Harris English. This week I played with Sung Kang and Michael Kim. It's been uh, it's been pretty good. Is there anyone who whose career path that you look up to, especially regarding how, you know how they've how they've made their way onto tour and how it compares to the way that you're trying to make it out on tour? Not really. I can't really think of anyone that kind of inspired me doing what they've done. I've just seen Joaquin Neiman and some of the guys that you know that uh, you know him win recently, and and uh, some of the guys that have made it made it to the tour without going to college. I was I was I'm not sure if you're uh, if you're well versed in kind of the uh, some of the some of the alternative routes that other people have taken. Yeah, I mean, I guess Joaquin's definitely one of them. He he was obviously really good growing up. You know, he played the Masters. He did a lot of great things in junior golf and amateur golf and. Here he is now, PGA Tour winner and two-year exemption, and I think that I, that was pretty cool. Just knowing that he did it from, you know, coming from Chile, it's not much going on there, and there's not a lot of money going on there. So to see what he he's done and the impact he has over over there in his own country is uh, it's pretty cool. How many uh, how many times has the name Ty Tryon been mentioned to you? Uh not not many to me. Maybe to some other people, but I actually I played in a Monday qualifier. I played in a playoff against him, which is funny because oh, I was like, "It's like, oh wow, this guy's uh, this guy turned pro early too." <laughs> did you pick his brain at all? No, I mean we were playing against each yeah, other. Yeah, so that's probably not the best time in a playoff. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you? Do you have any other? I guess friends or people that you had friendly relationships with, uh, professional golfers before you got out there. Anyone that's been available to kind of. Uh, mentor you in any way both before and after your decision to turn pro yeah i mean i get to practice with chess and hadley a good amount chris wilson who's got some status on the corn Ferry tour uh so i do i hang out with Chesson a lot which is which is cool because he's he's funny he's you know he's got a great outlook on life and 
I've talked to him a little bit just on the feelings I you get when you're on the cut line or when you're in contention because he he's had a good career so far and he's still out here so is there anything that they kind of help you with preparing why like things that you maybe wouldn't think about and I've always I mean, my I've always thought that you know tour life isn't quite as glamorous as people uh, make it out to be or what that I what I once thought it was have you had any realizations like that just with transportation hotels anything like that that anyone's kind of helped you with not really I mean my agency my manager's done a pretty good job of uh, where I need to be and what I need to uh, to notice overall I I kind of I kind of know what to do ever since I played basketball which is great now that you're professional, is there anything uh, you're going to spend some of your new money on? Anything you're going to buy? Anything you're targeting? Uh, maybe a car when I get enough money because I need to get I need to get my license first before I do that. But you don't have a driver's really. license? Not yet. <laughs> Are you taking driving courses? What's the plan on that? I have my learner's permit, so it's <laughs> good enough so far. Don't have to pay for insurance, but <laughs> that's that's about it. Do you still do you still live at home and do you have plans to move out? Yeah, I do live at home and hopefully when the time's right I'll I'll find a place somewhere else. But for now just you know, I'm traveling so much there's no point in spending money on a on an apartment or anything. Do you have anywhere where you're targeting potentially to live? I mean, uh, there's there's you know, golfers kind of uh gather in, in a, only a few different places. Are you looking at one of those hubs to potentially live in? Not quite yet. I mean, I got to kind of find which who I want to hang out with and where I'll be welcomed. So just do what I need to do out here, and hopefully some guys will kind of lead me to where I need to be or where I should be. And last one, I'll let you get out of here. I know you uh, tournament starts tomorrow. Where where would you have gone to college if you were to go? Was there any? Did you do any recruiting visits? Did you you know was there ever any effort put into that part of the process? And what were the kind of some of the lead candidates? Honestly, I I don't know where I would have went. I I did a few college visits, but I definitely have to find somewhere where I would like to. What would have a good I guess major? I don't know. That's a that's a good question. I don't I don't follow college football or anything, so I don't even have a team for that. <laughs> uh, there was this, there is not a question on this, but maybe uh, maybe you can help shine some light. We uh, we played in the junior players last year with a friend of yours, Cole, and he uh, you know we asked kind of we asked him about other players, and he told us about you. He said, "I've never seen Akshay miss a putt that matters." What does that mean? How many times did you break his back? I guess in matches or whatever. <laughs> uh I, we've only played we haven't even played together we just we played <laughs> the junior rider cup together and i think that's i saw you there yeah i was i was i remember this you know i was uh the u.s was getting just destroyed and i'm yeah. drowning my sorrows on a hill and you guys came rolling up and i was like hey don't don't be like me don't be this guy sitting on the hill <laughs> drinking a beer be better than yeah. me i don't know i i that's probably the, my favorite part of the game is just i love the putt I mean, I could be on the putting green for four hours if you, if they would let me. <laughs> yeah, I've heard but, you pour in some hours on the putting green. Is that right? Yeah, I don't know. It's just I feel like that's where that's where it all counts. Is I mean, you can hit it as close as you need to, but you know, when you need to make twenty footers or you need to make putts coming down the stretch to make a cut or to win, you know, I can kind of lean on what I've practiced. There you go. All right, man. We'll let you get out of here. Thanks so much for dialing in. I uh, look forward to uh, to following your uh, your journey out on tour, and uh, best of luck to you, man. I know a lot of people here are rooting for you. 
Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You got it. Anytime, bud. See ya. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect.